Hello there, and welcome to Rich People Are The Worst. <laughs> in which I, Drew, and Scott, Scott, Hello. We'll be looking at a couple of films in which rich people think they can get away with it. Some tremendously unpleasant behaviour towards others and then get theirs. <laughs> That's the theme, right, Scott? Pretty much. It's February, so a young man's thoughts turns to hunting and killing their fellow man? I think that's how the saying goes, at least, yeah. And I, I believe that's the, the main thrust of Occupy Wall Street and they hate for the 1% is the the regular culling of their lesser, yes. um, less well-off brethren that comes about. That's, that's the main point of it, so we've got a couple of films dealing with that. Indeed. Yes. Uh, Shall we make a start then with uh, the classic... Jean-Claude Van Damme, John Woo, Hard to Target. Yes, uh, as Scott says, our first film is Hard Target. Kind of an updated take on 1932's The Most Dangerous Game, <laughs> in which rich men pay for the privilege of hunting and killing a human being. The hunts in this film take place in New Orleans, where former soldiers in particular are recruited amongst the city's homeless population and offer $10,000 if they make it 10 miles across the city to the river. As they're only given a five-minute head start, though, and they're being chased by many people in cars, on motorbikes, and with powerful weapons, this is pretty obviously never going to happen. <laughs> Almost like there's some commentary here about things being loaded against the people. <laughs> or maybe that's just luck, a point we may come to. <laughs> the first victim you see is Douglas Binder, the screenwriter Chuck Farrer, a victim who... Against the express orders of Lance Henriksen's Emile Fouchon, the man behind the hunt, has a family who will miss him. That family is Yancey Butler's Nat, who has come to the city seeking her father after his letters to her suddenly stopped. Her search brings her to some of the less salubrious neighbourhoods of the Big Easy, where she is saved from robbery and assault by Jean-Claude Van Damme's Chance Boudreau. Introductions made, Nat enlists Chance as a guide and bodyguard as she tries to trace her father, a search which is quickly ended when a police officer magically manages to find the visitor to the city in the middle of the city and to tell her that her father's body has been found. <laughs> Cursory investigation by Boudreau uncovers evidence of his murder and the single non-striking police officer left in the city, <laughs> Casey Lemons, is convinced to begin an investigation. Meanwhile, Fouchon's hunt finds another victim though the heat of the investigation suggests to him it's time to wrap things up in New Orleans and move to pastures new. Before he does so, though, he decides that Boudreau must die and drives him deep into the bayou where lives his uncle Duvet, an old Cajun played utterly convincingly, mind you, <laughs> utterly convincingly by Wilford Brimley. And he wants to talk to you about diabetes. <laughs> I assume, like me, you only know about that from Red Letter Media. Yes. yes. <laughs> also, Wilford Brimley, despite looking like 100 years old for the last 50 years, still not dead. <laughs> Well done, Wilford. This all sets the scene for a finale in which Fouchon somehow convinces a bunch of rich men to pay him handsomely to do his dirty work for him, <laughs> and JCVD kicks all of their arses. This, though, despite the film taking pains in the early scenes to point out the care Lance Henriksen's organisation takes to avoid attention, including creating alibis for the people involved in the hunt, recruiting the top city pathologist, and burning bodies to hide evidence of murder. But... As I say, despite that, very soon Arnold Vosloo and the other goons are killing people in the middle of crowded streets, murdering police officers with shotguns in broad daylight, and trying to shoot people from motorbikes, all while making no attempt to hide their identity. 
No, no, but it, it's perfectly all right, though, because the police are on strike. So yes. that's a fig leaf for it. <laughs> Whether this is a commentary on the impunity with which the rich can commit crimes in society or <laughs> screenwriting, I'll let you decide for yourself. <laughs> Oh, did I mention that the screenwriter, Chuck Farrer, is responsible for the jackal? <laughs> Not that I wish to sway your uh, decision-making there at all. There is a strong argument to be made that John Woo's first Hollywood film is his best Hollywood film. But, well, damning with faint praise and all that. Hard Target has slow motion, Beretta handguns, motion of reduced speed, birds, motion at a lesser speed than normal, stylized choreographed action and gunplay, Action that is displayed at slower than typical speed, and motion that is not quick. So it's definitely a John Woo film. Yes. By this point, JCVD had come on in leaps and bounds as an actor, especially compared to the likes of Bloodsport just five years earlier, and despite an interesting hairstyle, <laughs> I'm pretty certain he hadn't used before or since, he's very watchable. And his trademark kicking people in a face shtick really doesn't get old. <laughs> Arnold Vosloo is dependably villainous, but Lance Henriksen is chewing the scenery. Presumably prompted by the mid-film flip where his cool businessman becomes a butt-hurt angry man because plot, <laughs> and it's not really his forte. It's hard to judge Yancey Butler because she's mostly just asked for wide-eyed reaction shots, usually in slow motion, and she wide-eyed reactions her way right through them. <laughs> Wilfred Brimley is not even a tiny bit convincing as a Cajun, but, well, it's plenty entertaining because he's Wilfred Brimley trying to be a Cajun. <laughs> Spider-Man 1 and 2 and the Hurt Locker editor, Bob Murawski, keeps the action movie along reasonably well, despite the frankly comical number of slow-motion shots, though the action in general does feel a little stayed by today's standards. It's definitely a product of its time. Setting aside Wind Talkers, which I really would like to revisit sometime but can no longer speak to with authority... Hard Target Puzzle is John Woo's best Hollywood film. It's also crap. Just entertaining crap. <laughs> Could have used a little more slow motion, though, I thought. Yeah, common criticism with John Woo films, that just not enough slow motion. Um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed watching Hard Target again. Hadn't seen it in years. And, um, yeah, I'm sure we had a conversation a while back about, much as we loved Face Off at the time, going back to it these days... It seems kind of rubbish. <laughs> so time has been much less kind to that than I think it has been to Hard Target, which, although yes, very much a product of its time, is a, a time I quite liked <laughs> in terms of how action films are made and, and looked. Yeah, it's absolutely ludicrous in terms of plot. I would not be taking it seriously, and uh, I think I think you're being quite generous trying to ascribe any kind of commentary to it, uh, not just because of its inherent actions. I was and being ones. entirely facetious Scott, yes. please don't concern yes. yourself about that. Yes, and there's a lot of scenery chewing going on I'd, I'd forgotten quite how quotable a lot of, well essentially everything that Arnold Vosloo does in it. Rendell, like, Rendell, Rendell, Rendell. I'm not sure allowed to say that anymore but it's still very very funny, I think I, I'm sure at some point that was one of my ringtones um, <laughs> that whole you want to leave without saying goodbye <laughs> lots of really fun action sequences in it and I'm not sure I've seen a more hmm, in terms of his sort of supposed to be taking them seriously roles I think Jean-Claude Van Damme's perhaps one of his most sympathetic and better turns uh, in this compared to anything else he 
he seems to have been given a character which he doesn't normally get. He's normally <laughs> just Jean-Claude Van Damme, man what does the kicks and that. And in this one, he's at least been given, like, here's a character that you can have and try and act for a bit and see how that goes. And he doesn't, he's a pretty good fist of it. I, I quite like him in this. He's very likable. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, well, if you consider that Frank Dux was supposed to have had a character, you know, yes. everybody <laughs> in that film is made of wood. Yes. Seriously. <laughs> There's a wee bit of the backstory of like he was also on the streets at some point and stuff and like there's not a lot of character but he has some. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think what I like most coming back to it was that it acts as a sort of a greatest hits of John Woo and his heroic bloodshed um, <laughs> phase because whether it's in this incarnation of the podcast or the last, we've had plenty of conversations about how Hollywood just could not find anything for John Woo to do meaningfully. Um, I suppose most notably last thing when he spoke about Mission Impossible 2. They, they just never got a handle on what he could do. And of course, after that, he kind of went back to um, China and Hong Kong, started producing bigger epic films like um, Red Cliffs, which are yeah, exactly, you know, much yeah. Yeah, much more interesting in sort of a different phase. But all this heroic bloodshed things, he never quite got to do anything that was of that quality at all in the West. Now, this isn't as good by a long chalk as anything like Hard Boiled or The Killer or these other ones, but it has sort of little snippets of all the kind of best elements and the stylistic flourishes that we would use in that and puts them in a Western context. Probably the only successful time. Uh, this is the only one that I think where it's, it's really kind of worked, and it kind of it, it's recognisably a John Woo film in a way that a lot of the other ones kind of really aren't when you look at them, and that gives it a bit of charm. Um, perhaps it's only because I'm kind of nostalgically grafting on elements from other better films, but I still think it kind of works. Um, I still think this would stand by itself as being a, a really entertaining little um, action uh, outing, and I have a lot of respect for it, a lot of love for it, and I would certainly recommend anyone with a, a passing interest in, in this sort of thing, either martial arts or uh, the heroic bloodshed shooty bangs. I mean, if you if you liked something like John Wick, uh, any of those trilogy, then and you haven't seen um, any of Wu's earlier stuff, then it's an absolute goldmine to go back and uh, run through if you've somehow um, not partaken of that in your cinematic journey thus, thus far. I would certainly recommend travelling down that road. And of that, while Hard Target is not the best John Woo film, by, as I say, by a long shock, it's certainly easily his most Wooish Western film and <laughs> worth looking at in, in that regard. I am not entirely convinced that I had seen this before I watched it, perhaps just last year? Right. I think I'd seen enough bits of it, but I was not convinced that I had I'd seen it. Although if I had, it was twenty-five years ago, right? Yeah, you, it's perhaps one of those films you might have thought you've seen just because me and Craig have been going. He was helping her look for her daddy all the time and doing yeah, those other terrible like, accents. <laughs> that's it. I've, been, I've spent twenty-five years listening to Craig every so often going Randall, 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 <laughs> and I think it was past my time last time. This time when I watched it. I was acutely aware of it just being a bad film. <laughs> I was also very much aware that, despite that, I was still enjoying it. <laughs> like, as I said, it really is crap, entertaining crap. Um, yes. And I think the saddest thing is, though, I looked at the John Woo's filmography and IMDb before beginning this tonight, and I, this followed Hard Boiled. Yeah. This is a film yeah. right after Hard Boiled, his best film, and this is, oh, no, well, I mean, Redcliffe, maybe, because it's such a different film, you probably can't compare it yeah. to Hard Boiled, but, like, that's, that's the progression of his <laughs> career. Ugh, yeah. yikes. Um, 
Yeah, I see what you mean. It's like, I mean, like, it's like a sampler plate of John Woo almost. <laughs> yes. The point it almost feels like it's a, it's like a, a demo reel, a sizzle reel. Yeah. Um, or like a checklist activity. Because it's like, right, birds, okay, berettas, slow motion, slow motion, slow motion, slow motion. <laughs> yes, standing, uh, your two main bad guys standing on opposite sides of a wall having a conversation yeah. while they reload, uh, yeah. diving backwards over the table while shooting those berettas, that kind of thing, yes. Mirroring <laughs> each other, um, throwing people a gun in the middle yeah. of combat and things. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it does feel like it's almost like a box ticking exercise. Um, but there's enough in there to make it enjoyable I guess it's not good I would argue I would say it's good but crap can be enjoyable too like it's like junk food right you know if you ate a lot of that you're not going to have a good time but mm. it's entirely fine every once in a while and a film like that like this it's, just, it's fine yeah. in that regard you know it's entertaining and there are there are skilled bits in it but Jean-Claude Van Damme jumping up and kicking people in the face again never mm. loses his charm yes <laughs> and I would be much, much more critical of Wilford Brimley in another film if he tried this, but it's it's just so daft anyway. Yeah. That they're just with impunity blowing people away in the middle of the street when they'd started to start off saying well they had to keep it secret and then well, of course, deep in the middle of the bayou there's a storage um, facility for Mardi Gras um floats. Well, why yeah. wouldn't there be why wouldn't that be in the middle of the forest? Yeah. Okay. Um, it's like, I don't care, they just wanted an interesting looking location to blow up at the end. So. Yeah. <laughs> Entertaining schlock, basically. It's just Yes, but yeah. I'm a I'm a huge schlock fan, so <laughs> Sometimes has to catch me in the right mood, but there's quite a good chance of J C V do doing it. Yeah. Um, so that, that's always good to uh, But yes. Far from brilliant, um, and it's sad really that this is the pinnacle of John Woo in Hollywood. Yes, uh, um, yeah, he's, he's had bigger budgets and uh, never been able to really do much with them. Uh, <laughs> but it's not paycheck, so it's got that exactly. Going for it. Yeah, exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah. Okay, so we've got another film then with also rich people killing people thinking they can get away with it, but for slightly different reasons, Scott. So, will we move on to Ready or Not from last year? Yes, which yes, which I wanted to catch up with. Um, remember back when some studio executive had a particularly ketamine-fueled night out and woke up to find out they'd commissioned a film based on the board game Battleships? Seemed like an awful idea at the time, but of course the remarkable commercial and critical success that it presumably bust the foot um, has opened up a valuable new market for Hollywood to mine. Literally anything. Anything someone somewhere might remember in some fashion. Monopoly? Sure, why not? Tetris, apparently, although I'm not sure if that was supposed to be a joke or not. Anyway, the point I'm skirting around is that this is a movie adaptation of Hide and Seek. Which sounds silly, but so did Game Night, and that turned out to be great. So let's see if this shares more of its quality, or battleships. So, actually, the setup is, perhaps unsurprisingly, very straightforward. Samara Weaving's Grace has just married into the rich board game dynasty of the Lidwas family, specifically Sion Alex, played by Mark O'Brien. This was in spite of Alex's warning that his family is weird. Not just conventionally rich person weird, although there's plenty of that, but more specifically, they believe that their success is due to an old tradition, a pact, if you will, where any new addition to the family must play a game randomly selected by a mysterious antique box on midnight of the wedding something harmless like chess maybe unfortunately for Grace she draws hide and seek 
The Damas family have a few house rules for this game, specifically locking all the doors and windows of that house, and then hunting and killing the Heidi under non-specific threat of terrible vengeance for breaking with tradition. There's no crazy like rich person crazy. So, off Grace goes trying to hide, dodge, and avoid the Dumas clan and their selection of weaponry, uh, said family including Adam Brody, Henry Cerny, Andy McDowell, Nicky Gradagni... John Ralston and a handful of others who McDowell accepted. I don't think I could have picked any of these people out of a lineup, uh, but regardless, they all handle the roles quite well with the complete lack of subtlety that something like this would demand. Now, to my surprise, I rather enjoyed this. It's almost relentlessly paced, and you will never be all that far away from something delightful happening, like someone being grotesquely shot with a crossbow bolt, or an annoying wee kid getting their coupon stamped. (laughs) Now, there's a certain subset of people who will find that delightful, of course, admittedly, but uh, yes. In terms of content and tone, this is aiming for something like The Cabin in the Woods, although this is better, or The Evil Dead 2, although this is not as good. But really, what is? It has a comedy, action, horror vibe that's a right old laugh and no mistake, Governor, assuming you're on its wavelength. If you're looking at this in a film critic kind of way, there's plenty of points that you could bring up to deduct your meta-tomato points from. The characters are very broadly and very shallowly drawn. <laughs> there's no real attempt at meaning or any deep thought on the human condition. However, I don't think that's a particularly relevant or helpful way to look at something like this. It's taking a very silly premise and simply having an inordinate amount of fun with it. It is trash. But it is enjoyable trash. <laughs> Samara Weaving's excellent, uh, hugely relatable and sympathetic at the outset, and all the more sympathetic by the end of things. I felt a little bit skeeved out, but there's a few moments where they're maybe going a little bit too far into body horror, torture porn territory, which stylistically felt like scenes left over from a very early draft that hadn't decided to become a comedy quite so hard. <laughs> uh, just kind of focused on it for a little bit too long, and it kind of didn't really fit in with the rest of the film's vibes but like the bit in the gate exactly that bit I was wincing watching that section which I mean it's it's actually really effectively done but it just shouldn't be in the film at that point I don't think it's it's not that's not a strong enough concern for me to diminish my overall opinion on it Um, it is not a classic and I suspect I will never think of it again after editing this podcast down Um, but it was a highly entertaining hour and a half that was frequently very funny indeed uh, assuming your humour skews that way and I can't say much more about it than that yeah I just my first point I'd like to make is it was 90 minutes well like 94 or something yeah Fantastic! It's all it needed to be. It was nice and tight. Um, didn't didn't outstay its welcome. No, no particularly long stretches of dead air for no particularly good reason. Yeah. That weird indulgence nowadays of just like making films at least two hours for no good reason. Yeah, yeah. A couple of bits like the gate thing we mentioned, Scott, and, and the bit of their hand as well. Yeah. It, oh yeah. It's like oh, and once it's like really effective, but it it almost doesn't fit with the rest of the film. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think this film's got anything to say at all. It's a confection, but I found it really entertaining. I wasn't mm-hmm. expecting anything of it or not, mm-hmm. um, of it at all, sorry. I don't think I'd even heard about this again. I just long ago stopped. If, if I see a trailer, I see a trailer, but I stopped like, following film news because mm-hmm. I just heard, like, what is out? This is out. I will watch this. It is out. It's actually quite well because I've got more chance of seeing a film with very little foreknowledge of it, um, yeah. which can help in a lot of ways. So this I had no concept of at all, and I watched this. Like, well, that was quite fun, and I cackled if, um, a good few times. I could do it ridiculous over the top fancy like people hitting the crossbow bolts through the head. Like, I, I admit I am slightly worried about what it says about me that I <laughs> laugh so hard about those sort of things so often, but um, I think I'm pretty well adjusted, so I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure it only happens in fictional stuff like this. Uh, <laughs> 
it's not all great acting wise. So I'm not really convinced of the father, Henry is Cerny. Yeah. Henry Cerny. Um, also, that terrible, terrible, terrible performance from the old woman, you know, the one with a face with a, that you'd never tire of driving a truck over. Yeah. Fine women. <laughs> it's. It's one of those performances I can't I couldn't quite judge if it's I think it's intentionally that way uh, because obviously there's something wrong with her and that's what it's going for but it's still yeah. quite annoying um, but yes yeah. <laughs> I had this little thought it's like it it's so over the top and I think yeah perhaps intentionally over the top but it because nobody else's performance is it really stands out mm, yeah but it's uh, I don't know she's Oh, that performance is just so odd and there's something so unlike about that woman's face and yeah. facial expressions. <laughs> I don't have a lot to say because there's a lot to say. It's just, it's fun. Yeah. Again, I didn't really know what to expect from it at all. But then, like, quite quick, I realised, oh, black comedy, brilliant, that's so my thing. Yeah. <laughs> it'll probably never trouble my mind again, same as you. I doubt I'll ever watch it again, but it's certainly worth watching at least once. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I can I do appreciate that it's like a film that's like right we'll need to be at ninety minutes let's make it about ninety minutes and that's fine yeah. <laughs> and again I just want to say because it says obviously I don't mind long films if they're um, worthy of being long it's just comedy is actually the worst genre for it of in the last maybe ten years or so mm. comedies which were fairly regularly a, a ninety minute thing like there's kind of becoming so self-indulgent and stretching out to two hours or more for no good reason it's not that I've added any extra jokes in there yeah I struggle a lot with any comedy that's more than 90 minutes um, you can, I can feel my interest waning so rapidly after that mm. point and it's it's hurt quite a lot of films even even films that aren't like strictly just comedy but things like um, that Ghostbusters remake um, was one point where I think they obviously had a, a fairly divisive critical reception I'm sure if you just chopped about half an hour out of that and cut out some of the interminable and awful <laughs> improvisation scenes that yeah, were done that went nowhere. It was just talking and talking and talking. Cut ninety minutes. Well, so cut that down about ninety minutes, and it would be a, a solid film, and I would have liked it a lot more than it did. Uh, yeah, that's exactly the one that's in my mind, Scott. So, um, was was Ghostbusters twenty sixteen because mm. it's it's got it's so self indulgent. It's unnecessarily long. It's it's and some of the self indulgent bits are the clear improvisation bits. Mm-hmm. And actually, there are two Paul Feig films I was thinking about. And one is Bridesmaids, which I like a great deal, but that's mm. a two hour film. But um, yeah. the version on Blu-ray is even longer. It's like, yeah, there's no need for that. Yeah, yeah. Tighten up a bit. Yeah. But yeah, this this sounds like no. It's like we know exactly how long we need to be. It's a nice, comfortable length. It just bombs along nicely. Yeah. Really entertaining, funny. Um, I really like Samara Weaving. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I've seen before in anything. Not that I've been looking up an IMDb, but she didn't look familiar to me. So it kind of looked like knockoff Margot Robbie. Yeah. <laughs> the thought that came to my head at the start, and I couldn't really shake it. But yeah, um, it's it's fun. Yes, um, yeah, just to reiterate, uh, highly recommended if your sense of humour skews that way. Lots of nice little quick fires, little gags slipped in there, as well as some of the broader stuff. Doesn't really miss in any of the jokes that it's trying to land from what I can see. It's uh, it has a fairly limited uh, set of goals that it's uh, laid out at the start of it, but it's nailed them all pretty much perfectly. So yes, 
highly recommended. Yeah, so that'll wrap us up for today. If you'd like to get in touch with us for to discuss these or any other topics you may have in mind, uh, you can please do so. We're on Twitter at FudsonFilm or Facebook at Facebook.com slash FudsonFilm or you can do the old email thing at podcast at FudsonFilm.com uh, We'll be back in 10 days with a roundup of what we've done so in February and that, but until such time, I shall bid you adieu and perhaps Drugal too. Fare thee well. Thank you.